hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Many of you over the last three years of the pandemic have felt the tension building, felt and experienced firsthand the, the incredible tragedy of, of losing a loved one and the, the, the despair and the, the feeling that life has been robbed from us from SARS-CoV-2, the virus, COVID-19, the respiratory illness, hospitalization, all the frustrations of not seeing loved ones in the hospital. All of you, nearly all of you have been through this. Now the tragedy of the vaccines. It's been a building storm. It's been a storm that's been on the horizon now Uh, and has fully enveloped us and enveloped the world. We have a situation where in many ways we have all felt grace under pressure. Ernest Hemingway is said to have told us that grace under pressure is to face situations with unbelievable courage, courage we have never felt before And this brings me back to 1984, when the Canadian band Rush came out with their first album under a new producer, Grace Under Pressure. And I can't think of a more appropriate way to start this McCullough Report with a brief clip from the rock band Rush, 1984. Many of you were alive back then, and you remember this initial opening piece at the conference. The reason why this is going to be so important because our featured guest is Scott Shara, father of Grace Shara, and no better person exemplifies Grace under pressure. Let's listen to Rush together.
was Rush, Grace Under Pressure, and I had to play it because I titled this issue of the McCullough Report in part Grace Under Pressure uh, for Grace Shara, uh, a young woman with trisomy 13, admitted to a hospital. Her father's an accountant. Uh, he had lost his son a few years earlier to suicide. And the gripping struggle, Scott, his wife, his daughter, Grace, all fall ill with COVID-19 at the same time, and he tries everything he can to save his daughter. His uh, other daughter comes in to help uh, while Scott is hospitalized with COVID. You have to hear it all, and he's going all the way. Uh, he'll tell you about uh, his podcast, how he's raising awareness, uh, his lawsuit, press releases, and all the public advocacy work he's done for your rights as someone who could be hospitalized for COVID or some other problem, I think we're all going to look back and remember Mr. Scott Shara and how he became a real voice, a voice for civil liberties, medical liberties, and medical rights that all of us have. And we're more hospitalized, we're under duress. Uh, we don't feel well. Things start to happen to us. And you have to hear this issue of the McCullough Report. So without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Mr. Scott Shara in Appleton, Wisconsin. Grace Under Pressure, his beautiful daughter, Grace Shara. And let's hear what happened to her, Scott, his wife, his surviving daughter, and the family and the path forward for justice and for medical freedom for all. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCulloch. Are you worried about spike proteins and how they may impact your health? Are you looking for help? The Wellness Company has an answer in the form of our clean, pure, all-natural spike formula developed by experts like Dr. Peter McCullough, the Wellness Company's Spike Formula includes the incredible natokinase, dandelion root, black sativa extract, green tea, and iris sea moss. Even better, the Spike Formula by The Wellness Company is vegan, gluten-free, and made right here in the USA, so you know that you can trust and rely on it if you're concerned about spike proteins. Buying American-made naturalistic ingredients of this quality separately costs over $100. Our Spike Formula is only $65.99. Get Spike Formula today by going to TWC.health. Outloud listeners use the code OUTLOUD at checkout for an additional discount. Go to TWC.health, promo code OUTLOUD, and get peace of mind if you're concerned about spike proteins. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. 
it's a great pleasure and really a, a somber interview that we're going to have today. Uh, and we're going to learn a lot together by talking to Mr. Scott Shara. Scott and his wonderful wife lost their daughter in the hospital, Grace, during the COVID-19 crisis. And I've asked Scott to come on the show. Uh, describe what's happened. And and with his understanding that so many of our listeners have lost, lost loved ones in the hospital. And then I think the real positive part of this is Scott is going to tell us what he and his, his uh, family have done in taking these important steps towards seeking justice. Scott, welcome to the McCullough Report. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's take it from the beginning. Uh, what year was this? And tell us a little bit about Grace's uh, background, uh, uh, medical condition, her social position in the family, et cetera. So a little bit about Grace. Grace was 19 when she was taken from us. She had Down syndrome. She was very high functioning. Uh, my wife was gifted in homeschooling and uh, she taught her how to read and write. And of course I did the crazy things dads do. I taught her how to drive. She hunted with me. There's really nothing Grace didn't do. And you know, she was, she was an absolute blessing from the Lord and we were, we were lucky to have her in our lives. Uh, she, um, she went into the hospital with, uh, low oxygen saturation and low was at 88, 89%. We perceived that as, as low. So uh, that was in October of 2021. And she was only in the hospital for seven days. And her condition when she went in was she had a cold, but she was in good spirits. There's really nothing wrong. It wasn't as bad of a cold as what she's had in the past, but through a series of events, um, that that we'll talk about here briefly uh she she left to go home to her lord uh seven days later on october 13th of 2021 and was the diagnosis COVID? was the, was it assured that that's what she had well that's a great question I and mean, we had tested her on october 1st with a home test and it tested positive the purpose of the test at home was we were planning on going to a wedding that day and we just thought well maybe she has covid let's test her she was fine but uh, we didn't want to spread it at the wedding they did a test a pcr test at the hospital and they confirmed that she was positive so you know, that's what we we believe she had was COVID. Uh, you know, ultimately it was the, the only symptom she had was low oxygen saturation. She had a high D-dimer, um, but ultimately after the CT scan showed negative, that did not impact any of the treatment plan. Okay, so her CT scan uh, didn't show COVID pneumonia or uh, presumably a blood clot, but was the hospital um, COVID test positive? I, I mean, according to the records, it was, and they did say that she had COVID pneumonia. Okay, so it's cohesive. So she tested positive at home. She tested positive in the hospital. It, it was the correct uh, context. And then it sounds like in the hospital, uh, she started to get worse, having trouble breathing. Um, really not. I mean, she she really didn't ever have trouble breathing. What happened, though, is they very quickly took her from a regular cannula and put her on a, a high flow cannula and then to a BiPAP mask. And, you know, her oxygen level was throughout the hospital stay was good other than when the machines were malfunctioning. 
Well, I mean, if they need BiPAP, though, Scott, that that certainly is is not administered unless people are having trouble breathing. So um, it's likely she was in some degree of of respiratory distress, but she was never on the ventilator, is my understanding. No, she was never on a ventilator. Okay. And what concerns did you start to have uh, during the hospitalization? Um, She's in for acute COVID. She's got Down syndrome. She's 19 years old. Uh, what started to raise some red flags for you? Well, the first red flag was in the emergency room because when the doctor suggested admitting Grace, uh, I said, well, I'll be staying with her. And she said, well, you can't. I said, what's the reason? And she said, well, we don't allow visitors on the COVID wing. And I said, well, I'll be taking Grace home then. And, you know, again, Grace was fine. I thought, well, I'm not going to leave her alone in a hospital. And so they had a meeting and two hours later came back and said, we decided you can stay. So that's ultimately why I was allowed to stay in the room. And then, you know, a few things happened. One was the oxygen level was an interesting one because I had my own pulse ox in the room. And when I was wanting to feed Grace, the nurse came running in and said, you can't do that. I said, what's the reason? And she said, well, her oxygen saturation is only at 85%. And I tested it myself with the pulse ox and it was at 95. And so that was really an interesting thing. And and she admitted their machine was wrong because the leads get sweaty. And she got mad at me for even bringing it up. And so that was a signal. Um, You know, feeding Grace was really... uh, uh, you know, was my motivation and you know, got brought up a second time because I had told the nurses that we can simply remove the BiPAP and put on the cannula and feed her. And they insisted that we can't. I said, well, they do it every time they come and swab Grace's mouth because the, the BiPAP dries your mouth out. And so I knew that it worked because you know, I was monitoring the oxygen. I said, that's all we have to do. We just take the BiPAP off, put the cannula on and her oxygen stays fine. But they they refused. They said, the doctor's orders say this and we can't go against the doctor's orders. You know, so as I see it now, Dr. McCullough, you know, this informed consent idea is really the the primary, you know, I, I did not understand the definition then. You know, I, I understood I was an advocate for grace, but I did not understand what what my rights were under informed consent at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what were some of the big concerns? I know, uh, you know, in your public statements, uh, you expressed concerns about uh, do not resuscitate status and then the use of um, uh, sedation. Yeah, so there was there would be three things that fall into that category. Sedation was one. Uh, given the fact that they had Grace sedated for four and a half days in spite of the package insert saying that they're not supposed to use the sedation drug for more than 24 hours. Uh, second was the the uh, five different times they asked us for a pre-authorization to put Grace on a ventilator. So they just wanted that in their back pocket so that if something happened, I thought, boy, this, is, this was strange because I had researched ventilators and knew we weren't going to do that. And then third, which was most substantial, was the unauthorized do not resuscitate order that the doctor put on Grace's chart the morning of her last day. So the family uh, did not want her to go on the ventilator. So you expressed those risks, you expressed those concerns, but was it laid out to you that, um, that she still could have resuscitation 
um, just not go on the ventilator. That that that's part of a DNR order is to kind of, in a sense, you know, outline what's the limits of care. Was that made aware to you? No, it was not made aware to us. You know, we were very clear that we did not want Grace to be on a ventilator, and that was called. Uh, when I look at the doctor's records, I see that's called DNI, and you know, he claimed in the records that he had a conversation about uh, code status. Which at that time, I would have asked the question, "What does code status mean?" Because I didn't even know what that meant. I had no concept of that. You know, my background, as we discussed, is as a CPA. So I mean, I knew what a DNR was. Uh, because I did estate planning. So, mm -hmm. you know, it would make, you know, it, it, and it would make no sense because the morning of her last day, he started the call after, you know, with, with the request for the ventilator for the fifth time. But after we said no, he immediately switched gears and said, Grace had such a good day yesterday. We should work on nutrition and get her out of bed. And interestingly, with that phone call, Dr. McCullough is simultaneous with hanging up the call. Of course, we know this all after the fact because we've got the records. Simultaneous with hanging up the call is when he put the DNR order on her. So at this point in time, uh, she must have clinically been getting worse, though. And w w did you notice her becoming more breathless, more agitated? Uh, did it look like the sedation was you know, warranted in any way or, or what was going no, on? But yeah, the sedation wasn't warranted at all. I mean, they claimed she was agitated, but you know, Grace, first of all, was not an agitated type kid. And I was there from April 6th until the 10th. The only time she got agitated was when they were trying to deal with the high flow cannula and BiPAP. And my daughter, Jessica, was there uh, for, for Grace's last two days after I, I was taken out by an armed guard in between. And, you know, Grace was never agitated. In fact, the evening before Grace's last day, even though she had already been sedated for four full days at this time, she was herself. She was sat up in bed through the BiPAP mask and hollered to her two nephews, Jessica's two boys. Uh, she she hollered through the BiPAP on a on a FaceTime call. Hi, boys. You know, she just was she was herself. Um, you know, and, and the doctor led us to believe that next morning, Grace had such a good day, we should get her out of bed, work on nutrition. And, you know, that was, that's what we expected. And why were you, why were you escorted out by an armed guard? Well, the, the head nurse who, who came in the room with the armed guards stated three things. She said, number one, the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room. And, you know, those are, that's because I was challenging the things, like I shared a couple examples with you. Uh, number two, she said, you've been shutting off the alarms at night. And, you know, the nurses trained me how to shut off the non-essential alarms. And then number three, she said, we suspect you have COVID, which, I mean, that's that's ludicrous because they're the ones who told me I'm going to get COVID by staying in the room with her. So, I mean, at that point, they, you know, it was, it was, um, she she insisted, you know, I, I went back and forth with her for an hour saying, I mean, I can't leave my daughter. And ultimately, I called an attorney who's a friend of mine. And because she threatened that if you don't leave right now with the armed guard, that she's going to call the Appleton Police Department. Okay, so then you leave and... Um... And uh, what happens, uh, 
in this pathway to her demise briefly? Well, we had to um, hire an attorney to get my daughter Jessica in as a replacement. My wife couldn't do it because she had COVID and that took roughly 45 hours uh, to get Jessica in. So there was a window of time where Grace didn't have an advocate for 45 hours. And, you know, what led to Grace's demise, so it, you know, on October 13th, when we, while we were on the phone with the doctor telling us how great of a day Grace had that we should work on nutrition, they increased the dose of Presidex to near lethal dose, 14 times the level that she had been on just four and a half days earlier. Then they gave her lorazepam and morphine in a 29 minute window. And after that, Grace was dead an hour and 15 minutes later. And was your daughter there? Yes. In fact, we were on a FaceTime call because Jessica started panicking. After they gave Grace the morphine, her numbers started dropping like crazy. And Jessica tried repeatedly to get the nurses in the room. They refused to come in the room. And so she called and said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, I've been trying. They won't come in. So Cindy and I started screaming from through the FaceTime call, save our daughter. And the nurses hollered back from the hallway, she's DNR. And we hollered right back, she's not DNR, save our daughter. And they refused. Uh, interestingly, uh, a side note to that whole debacle was there was an armed guard posted outside of Grace's room. And did they uh, try to give the reversal agent called flumazenil for the lorazepam or Narcan for the morphine? Neither one. The, the morphine package insert says they're supposed to monitor the patient and keep the reversal drug bedside mm -hmm. if they combine those meds. And yeah. no doctor or nurse came in the room after giving Grace the morphine. So she, she, she had clear, uh, directly observed respiratory depression due to this multi-drug combination and no attempts to reverse it. And she, she has a respiratory um, uh, arrest and dies. Now, let me just ask you some questions, yes or no, regarding the COVID treatment all the way through. So just, just yes or no. Up front in the ER, did she receive monoclonal antibodies? No. At any time during the hospitalization, did she receive ivermectin? Yes. And uh, for how many days? Um, the three, the days that I was there, I had it along, so I gave it to her. Okay. And uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine? No. Colchicine? I don't know what that is. That's a, a drug used for COVID in McCullough protocol. How about aspirin? No. Uh, solumedrol or methylprednisolone? No. Doxycycline? What, what's the common name for that one? It, that's the common name. It's an antibiotic. It, it is? Oh, yeah. She didn't have that. No. Okay. If you don't recognize it, I'm sure the answer is no. How about, okay. a, how about azithromycin? No. Um, inhaled budesonide? Unfortunately, no. And um, anoxaparin or heparin uh, anticoagulant? She received, it may have been heparin. She was, re, or Lovenox, I think it was Lovenox. So they okay. were 
they were treating them, you know, the mini clots is what right. they called it from the high D dimer. So it, it would be reasonably, we'd be reasonably certain to conclude she did not receive comprehensive treatment as, as a patient properly treated as an outpatient. That would be McCullough protocols, part of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, uh, a similar protocols, FLCC. Uh, th these protocols are very comprehensive, multiple drugs given. Um, yeah, we even include nutraceuticals like uh, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, over-the-counter famotidine. Did they give her any of those? No. It, Grace was, we had Grace on the FLCCC protocol before we took her in. Yeah. And I, I had brought ivermectin in. That's right. why she got it. How many days of FLCC protocol did she get at home? I would say uh, probably eight, eight days. Okay. And, um, and uh, uh, what day of illness did she pass away? Um, that would have been on day, let's see, 13th, probably day 16. Day 16. So to summarize, we have a 19-year-old uh, young woman with Down syndrome, which is a high-risk uh, uh, condition for, uh, for COVID-19, only because respiratory mechanics, uh, many times weight, sometimes congenital heart disease, uh, the, the stress of the hypoxemia, et cetera, uh, inc make, it, make it higher risk. But in this case, inadequate treatment, the, the, uh, the breach in the standard of care would be inadequate treatment. And then uh, the breach in the standard of care would be administering drugs that suppress the respiratory drive and not using reversal agents when indeed respiratory depression happened, and then not performing um, resuscitation as as indeed she was not a consented DNR case. You had never consented to the DNR status. You didn't sign a DNR for the chart, right? That's correct. Okay. This is the tragedy. My condolences, the condolences from the audience of McCullough Report. I can tell you so many of uh, my listeners, my fans, have also had similar tragedies in the hospital. We, we've, we, this is the last three years has been full of these cases, but you're unique, Scott, and I've asked you to come on the McCullough Report because you're taking action. Tell us about the steps, what you've done in terms of public appearances in the media, and then the concrete steps you've taken now most recently. So what happened early on when we had gone through Grace's records, you know, you come to grips with what happened. And so then I had requested a meeting with the CEO and the doctor because that was my biblical responsibility to show them because you don't want the same thing to happen to somebody else. At that point, I didn't realize how egregious this whole thing was. Uh, they refused. And so I thought that was um, my opportunity to approach the media. So that was uh, my first media appearance was December 13th of 2021. So that was just two months after Grace died. I was on Newsmax. And since then, I've been on over 400 different radio, TV uh, programs. I started my own podcast uh, called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad um, because what I saw with myself, I, you know, you look back and you do a lot of self-reflection and you realize, well, why did this even happen? And it was because 
you know, through time, I learned to trust the white coat. And so I was programmed and I found out through a lot of research. Now I have thousands of hours of research, you know, how programmed I've been um, in other areas. And so that's why I started the podcast last November. And, you know, now we're uh, fast forward to today, you know, a whole bunch has happened in between that time. But fast forward to last Thursday is when we uh, we took the step to file a lawsuit against the hospital, uh, five of the doctors and two of the nurses. And and what are the major complaints in the lawsuit? The I can't discuss those yet. Um, the actual. So what we did last Thursday was in Wisconsin, you're required to file with the um, director of state courts, a motion for petition before the civil case gets filed. So we'll be filing the actual civil case um, next week. Um, and, you know, essentially what the civil case is without me uh, uh, um, getting into the particulars that the legal team doesn't want me to do until it's filed. You know, Obviously, once that's filed, it's public record, which we want. We want it to be public record because we see it as a pathway for other people. But, you know, it's the breaches. You you suggested the breaches already, which those are breaches under um, medical malpractice. But there's other breaches. You know, the DNR breach is a separate breach. Um, Obviously, we have the the battery breach for lack of informed consent. We see that as as huge because in you know informed consent, I believe, has um, systemically been taken away. Even though we have it, we still have the right to informed consent. People don't realize they have it. You know, most people are like me in that, you know, not anymore, but I mean, you walk into a hospital, you don't think that something bad's going to happen. You think the doctor has your best interest in mind, but that paradigm has changed. And so, you know, this, this lawsuit, of course, at this point has nothing to do with grace. Uh, you know, the details of it are, you, you get into it, you realize how hard it is to even file. We, Cindy and I, in, in according to Wisconsin state statutes, do not even have a claim because Grace was a legal adult. So we had to open up an estate for Grace just to file. And, you know, the money damages, no attorney would take this on for money damages because there's nothing. You know, it's it's peanuts. So we have to, I mean, just this the reality. So we have to pay for our own case. And, you know, we're... We we don't want this to be under the guise of COVID with this immunity from the PREP Act. So it's, you know, their way of, of filing this is creative. And that's why we want to have this public filing become available to every single person, uh, which I'll be sending it out, of course, once it's filed. Now, you've been very public with a press release on it. Tell us about the press release. Well, we we sent out a public press release. We had the press conference last week, Thursday. The media attended. We had about 150 people attended. Um, the press release is bold. I mean, it calls a spade a spade because that's what happened. It, we call out the meds that were used. Uh, we call out the illegal DNR. Um, we call out the doctors and nurses. Um, and it isn't because I, I have an ax to grind. I mean, that's not that's not what's going on here. I see it as the only way to stop a behavior is to have individuals be held accountable. And, you know, you cannot use the excuse that we were following orders. That excuse did not work 
in the Nuremberg trials, and it's not going to work now. You cannot use that excuse that I was following orders. Uh, that does not cut it. And in order for um, Grace's case to to uh, light a path for other people to follow, we we have to call out the individuals who are involved. So this lawsuit is uh, potentially precedent setting in COVID. Uh, are you aware of any other lawsuit where there's been uh, an award in, in favor of the plaintiff for an inpatient disaster so far? I'm not, and we realize it's at that level that it's precedent setting. Um, you know, we have an entire legal team on this. It's, you know, we're looking at it through that lens that the entire country is watching. And, you know, so we want to do it first class and right. And, um, but yet the the lead attorney, which is real interesting, he, his perspective is is refreshing because he said, Scott, you know, you're in the media. Um, we're not going to restrict you. We're not going to tell you what to do. We'll we'll uh, we'll work around whatever you do because you know a lawsuit is a tool, but it's only a tool. You know what we're trying to do, Dr. McCullough, is save people's lives. And so the earliest they're going to hear our court case, you know, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. But you know, before we have our quote day in court end quote, it's a minimum of 18 months away, and people are still dying. Right now, today, people are still dying with a COVID diagnosis in a hospital. And while this case has nothing to do with COVID, it's it's way bigger than COVID. It's about a larger agenda that's happening. And you know, we're trying to save lives. And so he's encouraged me to get out in the media, same as you've been doing. We're not going to restrict you. And because the lawsuit is is um, only a tool, and, but media is the fastest way if you want to save if you want to save lives. We've been talking to Mr. Scott Shara from Appleton, Wisconsin, and uh, this has been a gripping interview. Uh, the story of his daughter, Grace, a young woman, 19 years old, Down syndrome, succumbs in the hospital in a series of events that happen that uh, point to wrongdoing, point to not only malpractice, but personal injury. Uh, you know, stripping people of their civil liberties, stripping people of their uh, of their right to actually be with loved ones in a time of crisis. Uh, you're listening to the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I want to talk to you about an important trio of products I routinely recommend to my patients with long COVID syndrome, and that is the Healthy Cell Trio of the Immune Super Boost. Focus and Recall, and REM Sleep Supplement, all three of them. The Immune Super Boost in the morning helps charge the body with essential uh, vitamins and nutrients that help an individual fight off these frequent recurrent infections of other viruses that people get during the long COVID syndrome. The Focus and Recall, also taken in the morning, helps address brain fog, uh, this general difficulty in finding words, uh, irritability, uh, it works wonderfully to help clear up some of the uh, neurological and neuropsychiatric manifestations of long COVID syndrome. And then lastly, at night, the Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement helps you go to sleep, stay asleep, get normal sleep architecture, so the next day you wake up well-rested and ready to go. So again, three products all work together very well 
in long COVID, post-COVID syndrome, the Immune Super Boost, Focus and Recall, and REM Sleep Supplement. There are three products. Go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, and click on the banner for, uh, for Healthy Cell to get 20% off your first order. And you'll be ordering all three of these. They'll come in three separate boxes. They are utilized uh, microgel technology. They work very rapidly, and I'm relying on them in my practice with great results. So go check out Healthy Cell. Go to America Out Loud Talk Radio and click on the banner bar for a discount on your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is One Color Report. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We've heard the story on the first half of this issue of the McCullough Report from Mr. Scott Chara, a wonderful man, a man of faith, uh, an accountant uh, who really was doing everything he could as a reasonable person with a 19-year-old daughter with Down syndrome, highly functioning Down syndrome patient. But nevertheless, whether she had Down syndrome or not, Scott, I think any father, any mother with a 19-year-old daughter you know, that's of a zone. Sure, they're an adult. They're over age 18. Uh, but we would we would want to have parental uh, input in terms of what's what's going on. We'd want to help. You know, you were lucky because you were allowed at the bedside for a period of time as rough as that was. Have you met people on the road who never saw their loved ones again? They, they weren't even allowed in the hospital at the bedside. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you mean by the thousands? Uh, and a lot of the stories that I hear and from the people I meet, the stories are more egregious than graces. You know, it, it's it's so bad. You know, I would, you know, it's in the hundreds of thousands of people that this has happened to. Unfortunately, a lot of them don't know it happened uh, because a little known fact with 
COVID as a diagnosis on the death certificate is the government will pay you $9,000 towards funeral expenses. And so the people, you know, they get the call that their loved one died. They never get the records. They get their $9,000 and they're just thankful that the government helped with funeral expenses. Well, you know, we, we knew we were wise enough to that beforehand. So we never accepted the money because it would be giving credibility to what happened. And, you know, we knew that it was blood money. Um, you know, so most people don't realize what's even going on. You know, there's, I, I think there's less than 10,000 people in the entire United States that know that their loved one was, was taken out with these type of nefarious actions um, just because of, of how it's been covered up. But the ones that I've talked to, oh my gosh, it's, there's stories that are 10 times worse than Grace's. And, you know, your situation was also unique because you were able to, uh, you know, give ivermectin at the bedside and uh, you know, that's called medication reconciliation. So when patients are on outpatient medications, they're always allowed to continue their outpatient medicines as inpatients, always. It's, it's called med rec. It's medication reconciliation. And in so many uh, instances, the ivermectin is stripped away, the hydroxychloroquine, the prednisone, the colchicine. These drugs are, are stripped away. Uh, patients in the hospital sometimes are not even given you know, vitamin D or, or, or anything. And uh, you are able to, in part, keep some of that going. You were fortunate there. Uh, but I can tell you, as someone, I've treated hundreds and hundreds of patients. I've, like you, I've been uh, interacting in the scientific community now for three years. You know, I, I have a feeling, and, uh, I, you know, I don't want to make this any more disturbing, but I have a feeling, given the fact that she was on day 16, she had gotten that much uh, ivermectin treatment, I think she would have survived if she had not gotten that triple combination of Presidex, lorazepam and morphine. I think she would have made it uh, because uh, th there's enough time and enough onboarding of the drugs. It just takes time uh, in order to turn the corner. And it even makes this case more tragic. I think she would have been a safe. And I can, uh, I'll add two things to that comment. Uh, first of all, you know, the, the ivermectin that I gave her, the sense I had is I had to sneak it to her, which that's what I did. I snuck it to her because the doctor specifically commented, in fact, the COVID expert on the floor, he said it to me directly. The, the hospitalist said it to, to me directly, but in his report from the first day, the COVID expert said that the family is following the frontline doctor's misinformation campaign which of course you're following FLCCC, but he was calling it frontline doctors and they called it a misinformation campaign. And then, you know, relative to Grace's survival, I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died and I was significantly worse. I was having trouble breathing. My oxygen was substantially lower and I just about died the first night. And they turned me around in 24 hours. And when you asked me about budesonide, I said, unfortunately, no. And the reason I said, unfortunately, no, is because this hospital that I went to, uh, they were 180 degree different, uh, not just with, you know, mainly with their attitude, but then the protocol, um, they used budesonide. They, they respected my wishes. The morning of, after I survived the night, the nurse came in with a pill cup and I said, what do you have in there? You know, I'm pretty skeptical. My daughter just died three days earlier. Mm. 
And she said, so I asked her, what do you have in there? She said, well, I have um, a probiotic, a multivitamin, vitamin D, vitamin C, and fish oil. And I said, you got to be kidding me. You guys don't believe in that stuff. And she said, well, we do here. And mm. you know, then I was on the budesonide treatments. I mean, I was turned around in 24 hours. Were you able to continue ivermectin yourself? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good example. So you had a massive inoculum. Your, your wife was sick at home. Your daughter had it. That's common. You know, by the way, 85% of all the spread is with family members at home. All of you were brewing COVID and you got a massive exposure to it. So you got pretty sick yourself. You wound up in hospital, but you pulled through. Did any one of you three get monoclonal antibodies, Scott? My wife did. Um, okay. Yeah, so she she received those and she never had, she, her oxygen never went below 95%, even though she, she actually had symptoms worse than Grace and I combined, but her oxygen saturation stayed in the mid 90s. It's so heartbreaking. In uh, today, in the Annals of Internal Medicine, I, I featured it on my uh, Twitter feed. Uh, an analysis, a real-world analysis by Skip and colleagues, all the monoclonal antibodies were safe and effective in reducing the risks of hospitalization and death. And I think going backwards, severe cases like yours, everyone else, Grace's, everybody should have been fronted with these monoclonal antibodies. Remember when former President Trump got COVID-19, he got monoclonal antibodies, Joe Rogan, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it goes on and on. We should have been, the, 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 whole, the government purchased enough monoclonal antibodies for every person in the United States. And it was an absolute shame that these were um, made difficult to get, uh, constantly pulled off the market for unclear reasons and people suffered. I, I uh, couldn't agree more. There's, um, you know, it's, this, is, this is the hardest thing I've ever walked through, as you can imagine. Um, thankfully, thankfully, as you said, I'm a man of faith and that's the only thing that really can keep you going in something like this. Do you have other children? I do. Jessica, who I mentioned before, mm -hmm. uh, she's the one that was with Grace when she died. And my son, Travis, uh, took his life by suicide three years before before Grace died. Oh, my Lord. So the family has just been absolutely racked with a tragedy. And, um, and you're taking some very bold steps right now. No matter what the outcome of the court proceedings are, uh, you know, I think you can look back at this and said, you saw something very terrible going on in the country, in the world, and you did everything you could to help others. And I think that's the spirit that we really need. We need people now more than ever to do everything they can to help others, warn others, fortify others. Uh, in my book, Courage to Face COVID-19, Scott, there's uh, chapter two vignettes. Uh, one of my patients who survives, uh, uh, fortunately, his, his wife is able to shuttle in ivermectin. He's on the ventilator, but he's he's able to pull through. And then the, the tragic case of Miss Carol in Temple, Texas. Uh, she knocks on the door three times for early treatment. She's 72 years old, perfectly healthy woman, knocks on the door three times, doesn't get it, uh, gets sent home. Finally comes in, ends up on the ventilator, and the family takes the health system to court in order to receive aspirin, ivermectin, anoxaparin, colchicine, solumedrol, all the different agents that I mentioned. 
just to receive some basic medicines. The health system hires big time outside attorneys. They go to court and they threaten the judge not to um, practice medicine from the bench and the judge is intimidated and the health system prevails. This woman gets no additional treatment and dies on the ventilator. Autopsy shows her lungs are filled with blood clots, that she needed the aspirin, the full dose, and a coagulation. And the daughter, Jody Carroll, she's featured in our book, A Courage to Face COVID-19. We want people to know these stories because families are asking for basic care. Uh, do you know there's cases of uh, patients not getting nutrition, not getting turned, uh, not getting even basic care in the hospital? Scott, have you heard those stories? Uh, I have. And it's um, when I read them, people send them to me. I talk with a number of them on the phone. I've met a number of them when I'm doing speaking engagements. Um, oh, my gosh. I, uh, I cry when I read some of these. They're so bad. And, you know, they they start with, uh, you know, we start you, you start thinking about solutions and that's what we got to we've got to turn to. And you mentioned, you know, you're one of the few uh, that that has put his license on the line and and stood against what is happening. You know, I'm just a dad. You know, I, I, I turned my business over to my guys. This is number one priority. Uh, most people, I realize, don't have that ability, but you still have an ability to do something. And unfortunately, I've also met a, a number of people that are choosing to purposely say nothing. And I want to share a story that will that's mind-blowing to me because it, it just happened two months ago. A lady called uh, a reporter who interviewed me uh, this was about a year ago, and she said, that man is lying. She's a neighbor to the reporter. She's a nurse in a hospital system. And about two months ago, she called her and said, he's not lying. She, Her dad was in the hospital that she's a nurse in, and she's the power of attorney for her dad. And she was checking his chart, and he had an illegal DNR put on him. And so I asked, so she called and said, hey, he's not lying. And so I said, do you think she'd be willing to talk with me? So I did talk with her. This is a nurse. And she told me the story and, you know, we talked through it. I said, would you be willing to come on the airwaves with me and share this? People are dying. And she said, I'm 66 years old. I'm a year away from retirement and I don't want to, I don't want to jeopardize that. That's that is not good. I mean, this is, I have more than that, but I just wanted to share that that is the opposite of what we should be doing. So people are in silence as in many ways, this, this, this horrific crime is being committed. Scott, have people confided into to you and led you to believe that effectively euthanasia has been performed and some cases, some seniors, compromised patients in the hospital or people outside the United States? That's probably the single most important uh, topic that I have invested uh, the time on. I would say upwards of a thousand hours on the euthanasia agenda. So I know an awful lot about the euthanasia agenda. Yeah. So yes, people have confided in me. And um, 
that's that's another program, Dr. McCullough, because that's big. But I mean, it it got codified. I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it was codified with Obamacare on March 23rd of 2010. You know, and and if people don't believe that, look up look up Ezekiel Emanuel. Ezekiel Emanuel, who's the chief architect of Obamacare, in 1996, he said, quote, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed, end quote. So you can't wrap your head around that. You might think, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, believe me, it applies to all of us. All of us are going to either be disabled or elderly someday. And attenuated care is what he's talking about. Attenuated means rationed. So they've been rationing care. And Obamacare has a specific provision that I'd like to read. I mean, this, this um, again, you can't, when you start seeing this stuff, when you see with your own eyes, you can't unsee it. And this is the type of research that I'm doing now. So a provision in Obamacare says individuals or institutions refusing to participate in assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing may not be discriminated against by the government. So wrap your head around that. That's telling you they want to use assisted suicide, euthanasia, and mercy killing. But if you're a doctor with a conscience and you refuse to participate, the government can't discriminate against you. Yeah, it's basically a license to let it happen. You know, early in the pandemic, I did some uh, events on Clubhouse where people drop in from all over the world. It's a cell phone app. And I was shocked one time when some doctors from the Netherlands dropped in who were dealing with patients in the hospital. And they told me anonymously that, in fact, euthanasia was happening across Europe to the tune of 40 or 60 milligrams of morphine. And that was it. That, that people were going down, uh, seniors in nursing homes. And I uh, I really wonder how many people had their lives ended. They, they were actually could have survived COVID if, if effectively um, euthanasia wasn't uh, performed. So I think so many people need to turn into you, turn into you, podcast and follow you, Scott. You're doing such incredible work. It's, it's a heartbreaking, gripping. I'm still in the clinic right now after seeing uh, patients all day. And um, uh, I can tell you, I'm just looking around me, you know, wondering uh, what has happened to compassion? What has happened to humanity in the last three years? Do you have any final words for McCullough Report audience? Sure, two things. I would say, you know, the most important take home message somebody can take out of an interview like this is, is believe it. And if you don't believe it, dig. Dig, don't believe me, don't believe Dr. McCullough, dig with your own research until you've changed your belief and you believe what we're saying. Because if you believe what we're saying, it can save your life. And that that facilitates you being prepared. And the second thing regarding the lawsuit, if people are interested in following, we'll be doing updates regularly for those who uh, sign up. We have a, a separate website to sign up uh, at graceshara.com. Uh, Shara is spelled S-C-H-A-R-A. And if you put in your name and email address, we'll be sending regular uh, emails out. Once the pleadings and the complaint is filed, we'll be sending that out because we want to get this out to the public so they know the path you can follow to file. That's absolutely terrific. And tell us a little bit about your podcast. 
Well, the podcast is is really become it's become fun. I didn't realize how much work it was going to be. I spend about three hours for every one hour. So the podcast is about an hour a week, and I spend about three hours prepping. You know, I just thought I could be like you. You can just interview people, and but I'm not that smooth. So I have to prepare. And um, I've had some fantastic guests on. Uh, I've had Del Bigtree on. I've had Mickey Willis. I had Sean Stone. Uh, and one of the best guests, though, of all was Ron Panzer. Ron Panzer is the foremost expert on euthanasia. Uh, and and how I got involved with euthanasia, I had Kate Shemarani on. Kate is from the UK. She's, she's the nurse in the UK that's exposing euthanasia there. And she really turned me on to the euthanasia agenda and challenged me to find the smoking gun in the in the United States, which which I've been, you know, that's I did find it, and you know, ultimately that led to uh, a whole bunch more research on euthanasia. Wow, this has been an absolutely a stunning interview. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the McCullough Report, Scott. You know, if we were to put an image to this, what do you think Grace's favorite color or flower or image would be? Oh boy, that's easy. Grace's favorite color was purple, and and Grace's favorite flower, believe it or not, was the dandelion. And she changed my whole perspective. If you go to GraceShera.com, you'll see my favorite picture. Uh, because that's what's what's highlighted on on that landing page. It's Grace with a bouquet of of dandelions, and we have a seven acre lawn. So she came in one day with these dandelions for mom, and it changed my whole perspective. Before that, I thought dandelions were a weed, and now I just see it as oh, these this beautiful flower you get for a couple of weeks a year because Grace picked that just huge bouquet of dandelions for Cindy. We're going to leave it with that image, Scott. Thank you for so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Thanks for having me. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough.